Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Zuma JD interview number 13. The market is fully hectic at the moment. I've got an exclusive guest to help you make sense of it. He's a BitMEX Trollbox legend who has made money, lost money, and then made it back again. He's here to share his story and help you become a better trader. The Boot, welcome to the show. How you going? Great, how are you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. How's the past two weeks been for you? Yeah, so the last uh, two weeks have been a little bit rough, just like for everyone else, uh, I would think. Uh, mm. I was mostly wrong at that point, mostly in uh, a bunch of spot coins. And uh, usually uh, a lot of people uh, who know how I trade, uh, they know that I do not even um, have a lot of spot coins. I mostly just trade futures. Uh, but in this case, I found myself quite a bit on the long side for a couple of reasons. Uh, reason number one was that I had a lot of not very liquid coins that I was uh, hoping to hold for a couple of uh, months at least. And uh, because it's not very liquid, I was not able to easily sell or buy it. So I decided to liquidate my position only after it was clear that the market is not going to easily recover. And uh, the second uh, thing was that I was just moving from one exchange to a different exchange. So, uh, and because I wanted to have reduced fees, I had a bunch of BNB from Binance, Binance, and then I bought uh, a lot more FTT on FTX. <laughs> so I found myself holding a lot of like uh, exchange coins, not necessarily because I was bullish on them, but just because I wanted to have like those fee reduced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I found myself having like uh, a couple of millions worth of FTT a lot wow. of BNB and then a lot of the liquid uh, spot coin. <laughs> mm. uh, so yeah. I did lose some money on that. Uh, like some of that was just losing my unrealized profits. Some of that uh, were uh, some losses that I took, but mm. nothing terrible. Like I wasn't even 100% spot long, maybe like 60 or 70%. So yeah. I did take some losses, it's fine. Uh, I wasn't shorting. I lost quite a bit of money shorting in the bull markets as well in the past. So I, I'm not trying to pre uh, to front run shorting it. Like if you are in bear market, I'm going to make my money in it as well, but not mm. uh, trying to rush it. <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, you you kind kind of came a lot later than a lot of the big traders on Twitter. Um, if I recall correctly, you came onto the scene in 2017 and 2018, right? Yes, so I basically started to trade in 2017, and uh, I was uh, I became like relatively well known uh, in BitMEX Trollbox first in 2018, yeah. and then one year later in 2019, I think around April, I decided to create a Twitter account. Uh, although I was uh, like watching Twitter from my personal account for a while, but uh, I only created my account in 2019, and then uh, thanks for the BitMEX Trollbox and my uh, <laughs> And me already being well known over there, <laughs> and then uh, someone making like a written interview with me, and then Arthur Hayes uh, like retweeting that, <laughs> I got a, like five or seven thousand followers uh, over the first few days, and that kickstarted my Twitter account. When you say you joined in 2017, like did you join during that bull rally? Uh, no, I joined earlier. I joined uh, I think around uh, March or April. Uh, I don't even remember the months, but I do remember the prices. <laughs> so Bitcoin was around 2,700 
and the Ethereum was around 330 before it topped out at around 400. Interesting. So you've you've experienced one kind of full cycle, I guess, before. Like you've experienced yes. bull rally and bear market. And yeah, so could you kind of tell us, just for those who don't know much about you, like what it was like that first full cycle, you know, because um, if I, yeah, tell me if I'm wrong here, but if I recall correctly, like you made quite a lot of money and then lost a lot of money and then made it all back yeah, again so during I, the bear market, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I lost practically everything. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, uh, and during, uh, on my way uh, to making that first chunk of money, I lost almost everything a couple of times in between as well. <laughs> So well, I lost I lost more than like eighty or ninety percent of my money multiple times over that year. <laughs> yeah. uh, so how did that happen? It was uh, probably like this. At first, uh, I was trying to buy like uh, actual like stock mutual funds and then ETFs and then individual stocks, and I was switching from one to another very quickly. Or like one or two months, I was learning everything I, I could, and this actually coincided with me starting my job. So I got my uh, initial sign-up bonus and it was quite large because I was working in one of the uh, well-known uh, large uh, software companies that everyone actually knows, but yeah. won't name it. And then after I was like already uh, happy with my stocks, I was trying to uh, look for something potentially better rewarding and uh, my friend suggested to look me, uh, at uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And that's uh, when I decided to basically dump all my money into, <laughs> into Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, my logic was that I'm very young, I can lose everything and restart. And uh, because I was uh, in the company, one of the youngest people, uh, I assumed that even if I lose everything, I'm just going to become like my peers who are a couple of years older and starting from where I am right now. Yeah. So uh, in around April, I dumped all my money in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, but since I like to learn very quickly, in just a couple of days, I found out about the thing called margin <laughs> hmm. uh, on Kraken. Yeah, it was my first exchange. So basically, I just uh, went long like with two or three x leverage on Ethereum just before it topped at four hundred. <laughs> hmm. That's how I remember it because. In a few weeks already, I was hugely underwater, <laughs> uh, and I was like cutting my position just to stay alive. Yeah. But luckily, but luckily, I had a quite a large salary, <laughs> so I was dumping more and more money into it. <laughs> Do you think that having an income really like helped you learn then, because you could afford to lose money and then become oh, a better trader? Oh. Of course, like since the very beginning, I knew uh, the risks uh, that uh, I could lose everything. And uh, I was intentionally taking that. Like I knew that it's my chance to uh, to maybe potentially uh, retire earlier. And uh, I had that I had that idea that I want to retire by thirty. Like I actually intended to not spend much at my work. Like I was I was really planning to not spend much, and by thirty or thirty something. Uh, to have enough money so that if I invested correctly, it would generate enough yield uh, for me to not work and do something, whatever I want. Yeah. That was my life plan. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, immediately after I started my job, I was basically looking for investment opportunities. Interesting. And uh, yeah, I did it in 2017, so crypto was very much in the news. <laughs> yeah. I would say this. So the market crashes 
um, and you get you lose quite a bit of money I'm assuming or like at least relatively to how much you put in why did you decide to stay in crypto and keep keep trading why um, hmm. honestly I think uh, we can come up with uh, various smart and uh, fancy answers but uh, I think the real <laughs> answer is that uh, it becomes an addiction like it's if yeah. you're just honest if you're just honest, it almost becomes like an addiction. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. It can, yeah. That, it's it funny can, you say that because yeah, a lot of people wouldn't admit that. I don't think, but that's definitely true. I mean, I I've realized that you know recently. I think because there's few things in the world that are twenty four seven. They're always changing. There's a whole community around it that's always active. So. It's not like other things where you have to take a break. Like if you want to be trading all the time and reading about crypto all the time and getting better, you, you can you can do that if you want to. Yeah. Uh, the difference is that uh, crypto compared to stock market and others uh, that it has very high volatility. So as a trader, uh, it does provide you the ability to make or lose money relatively quickly. So if you are willing to take risks, uh, this is something that allows you to take the risk. So that's why crypto and not, for example, go back to the stock market. Yeah. Uh, but one way or another, over time, I realized I'm more of a short-term trader than uh, like a long-term investor. Mm-hmm. So crypto seems like a better choice here if you are more of a technical analysis and, and trading guy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, during the bear market over 2018, 2019, how did you change your trading? from what you were doing during 2017 and kind of keep making money? I think the main factor is that I just changed my mindset that uh, I told myself we are actually in a bear market. Like everyone was refusing, everyone was refusing to believe that. In fact, when I decided to, you know, to be aware and uh, to just uh, prefer shorting over longing, whenever I would say anything uh, about that in major chats, like whale pool or uh, or even in the troll box a lot of people would get really angry <laughs> and they would fight with you and they would say that you're stupid like you don't understand that this is the future of finance or money and something right. like this you know i think just realizing that we are in bear market and both trying to short it uh just worked out <laughs> you know yeah like almost every time you could short it and then i also did realize that I figure that we are in this descending triangle formation. So whenever we reached 6K uh, and uh, we're bouncing, I did realize that, okay, like we, we do have this opportunity to go up like a few thousand more. And since uh, both technically and uh, fundamentally, there is enough FOMO in the market to pump the prices uh, back up. So I did play it both on the upside and then on the downside. During like a period of time, I was able to almost perfectly guess both upside and the downside moves. Yeah, having a willingness to accept that we're in a bear market would have been easier for you if you didn't hold such a big like spot um, position. I think the the hard thing for people, especially on like the places where a lot of um, like day traders or retail hang out, like in the troll box and chat groups, is so many of them go big long um, on spot and then end up underwater during the bear market and don't want to believe it I guess um, yeah what do you think is going on at the moment then with the recent movements do you think we're sliding into a bear market or is it too early to say or yeah what do you think so on my Twitter I called it the uh, bear solidation <laughs> uh, I think we are like we did uh, 
have a lot of uh, damage done to the market, so you're not going to recover easily. Uh, right at the moment, as we are speaking, it looks like it's uh, closer towards breaking up. But even if it does break up, I, th I think we go like 48 or 50 or 52,000 and then probably another large swing down. Uh, probably just consolidate for month. Especially, uh, like both technically, there was a lot of damage and fundamentally there is this risk due to inflation that uh, the Fed might rise rates. Uh, just as, uh, I, I don't know if the viewers uh, read the Arthur Hayes' latest uh, analysis and article, uh, but I did, and I do agree with him that it's likely that the rates are going to go up, but then eventually they will probably uh, had to uh, be cut down again. But mm -hmm. in the short term, for like for the next couple of months, it does pose the risks for the uh, classical uh, markets uh, and crypto. So I think we're just, yeah, I think we're just going to range for a couple of months. That's my uh, likeliest uh, prediction, uh, as we say it, uh, at this point. Yeah. But uh, I'm not, I'm not actually trading at the moment. Like I'm not long, I'm not short. Yeah. Uh, I'm just waiting for for us to uh, break out or down right. from this current range. So you don't, yeah, you don't like to trade when we're going. I guess, yeah, you trade on volatility. So if we're just range bound, there's not a lot you can do. No, I lost too much money over my lifetime. Like I even did, uh, uh, I even did two trades just uh, over the last uh, like seven or ten days, and uh, like I uh, got stopped out twice, and uh, mm. I just, uh, I, I do have some PTSD and uh, my trading memory. Like I do feel right now, like. I felt when I was losing money, and this means just uh, I don't have a trade at the moment. I'm just waiting for something to happen, and then I will like take more trades afterwards. Um, yeah. There's no rush <laughs> to lose money. <laughs> yeah, interesting. It's it's kind of it's really fascinating hearing your um, mindset and approach with trading because it seems fairly fairly common sense to be honest, but not a lot of traders think like this. A lot of people in crypto, I guess, they get so tied up in the the narrative of the industry that you know yeah it's the future of finance and um and so there's always this kind of long bias i think and i guess you do believe in crypto to a degree right but you're just saying that that doesn't dictate your trades like if if we're going sideways we're going sideways if we're going down we're going down having that approach I think would make you a lot more clear-headed than most traders are and then you can be less emotional right yes that's true uh, but i would even uh, further uh, i would admit that the prices do really influence your emotion about the market so when the prices really go down i start to see also a lot of bad things about crypto and specific coins like this is bad and this is bad and this is bad but you don't really uh feel like that when the prices are going up <laughs> but yeah. i do realize this i do realize that uh, i am like that and most people are like that so i'm just trying to ignore uh, those feelings uh, whenever i can see i used to think that i'd gotten over the emotions because after 2017 i was kind of like oh you know i have emotional control now i can handle things but then the interesting thing is that if you're a good trader and usually if you can handle your emotions, you'll make more money. Um, so you'll think you're a better trader. The more money you have, the emotion comes back because you might feel okay about losing six figures in a day because you're like, I know what I'm doing. I can handle this. I'm not going to let this mess with my emotions. But then if it's then if you're really good, it'll become seven figures and more and more. So as you get 
more control of your emotions you just get to the next level of the game because there's more money involved and then you'll feel it again like there's no escape yes. essentially yes yes that's true yeah okay so you're much more famous in the bitmex circles i guess so um let's yeah. talk a little bit about bitmex uh how did you just, find bitmex just, and, yeah just before the interview i uh, went to the troll box and said hi to everyone just to <laughs> <laughs> nice just to see if people still remember me <laughs> and did i remember you yes yes people are like oh where were you <laughs> oh that's nice that's sweet <laughs> told me some stories happening on bitmix meanwhile some people got tracked or something like this <laughs> just <Yeah>. as always <laughs> uh i'm not sure if i told you before but i actually worked uh for bitmix oh from, I, know, I know yeah like the troll box is so funny to be honest, it was one of my favorite parts of working at Bitmax, just getting to like keep the troll box on my screen all day, you know, reading it, seeing the new characters that come in, the characters that leave. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting that that was a big part of the exchange's success, I think. Yeah, <laughs> even right now, like I even tweeted at Binance that, uh, guys, you should make like a proper troll box. It's not good what you have right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, you really need to step up your game. It's a... Uh, my most requested fe requested feature from you. <laughs> yeah, well, one idea I had when I worked there and kind of pushed for was to really flesh out the troll box. Like keep keep the simple troll box functionality if that's all people want, but almost make it more like Discord with more functionality because it could almost become like the social place for traders to hang out and that would draw people to the exchange, but who was responsible for adding the position uh, command? I'm not sure who did who implemented that actually. I mean, we had because, a whole list of feature requests, but yeah. Because basically, like the, uh, the whole even uh, the whole fact that we are doing the interview right now could be contributed mm. to that specific feature. <laughs> because after that, after it was added, I was basically like very often spamming that uh, position and PML command, and that's yeah. how people uh, that's how it became relatively. Uh, famous because people actually knew that I'm not lying and just LARPing or something like this. So, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, interesting. So, yeah, so how did you, how did you find BitMEX? How did I find BitMEX? Uh, I was trading, uh, first I was trading on Kraken, later on I switched for, uh, to BitPhoenix. Uh, I don't remember why exactly, uh, but later on I realized that the fees were really, uh, high. And uh, I was losing like 0.2% on every taker trade. And then maybe on Twitter or somewhere or somewhere else, uh, people people were like uh, talking about BitMEX being there. And uh, I just tried it, realized that the PEs are much lower. The system, uh, the, the UI was pretty good. Mm. And one day I uh, decided to uh, to move some money to BitMEX. And my first trade was a 5K breakout. So when it broke out uh, 5,000, uh, I entered like like a 7x or something large long. <laughs> and uh, I was, this is basically my second or third direct during that year. And uh, I made up my money again in one trade, <laughs> longing that 5k break, break out. <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. Yeah. And I even remember how it went to 5,200, uh, 5, but I had to go to sleep. And overnight it went to like 5,000. But then 5,500, I closed that long, shorted, <laughs> then uh, long the dip, and uh, I made that money like 3x my account probably. <laughs> that was yeah. my first trading trading day at BitMEX, and then I decided to move all my money <laughs> from BitPhoenix to BitMEX. 
interesting and how did yeah. you were you just trading the perpetual swap or did you go straight into futures or no i i did care about liquidity and uh, my size was lower but bitmax size itself was also much lower so the swaps had the overall better liquidity yeah. and also uh, i think for me the idea of uh, of swaps and funding was somehow more natural than playing with futures premiums yeah at that point, which is really strange because BitMEX basically just created this product for the first time ever and everyone uh, was just trading regular futures with uh, premiums. Or, <laughs> but for me, it somehow just seemed more natural to trade with funding. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because, yeah, one of the ways that the swap came about was that it was supposed to be more similar to a spot-based, um, uh, like a, a margin-based spot market. So like trading on Bitfinex or Kraken. So it was almost to help people like you make the move over to derivatives because futures like a swap is closer to a margin market than futures are so if you could trade yeah. on bitfinex it was pretty straightforward to jump over but it's interesting to hear that yeah that was something that appealed to you yeah was there anything about bitmex that you found like confusing then because it is a pretty big jump to go from bitfinex straight onto the swap there were some tough times around the uh, around the forks or something like this uh, like uh, when the when there was some fork or either bch or or something else like bitcoin gold or something yeah uh, i came up with i came up with this genius strategy of uh, <laughs> uh like longing on bitfinex and shorting on bitmex and getting basically free money or something mm. uh, and uh, telling my friend do the same thing but in the very end, uh, basically we got wrecked or something because, oh, I remember, it was a Segwit2x drama, but the fork never actually happened. So the whole <laughs> arbitrage thing never, oh. like, didn't work out. So, uh, and I think my, my friend, he actually got one leg of the trade liquidated or something, so he got wrecked because of my advice. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was back in, like, uh, fall 2017. Uh, yeah. So just for reference, for, for the viewers, uh, when I'm saying like I got wrecked once, second and third time, it was all before my large wreck during the winter 2018. <laughs> this is this is not afterwards. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You've sounds like you've had a lot of perseverance um, with your trading. Like you've stuck at it even with with losing money because it's so hard. Like a lot of people lose money and then never come back, or they they get so burned that they they stop learning. I guess, but it sounds like you've kept going. Yeah, I did. But uh, what I was doing in 2017 was not exactly smart. It was just really degenerate, I would say. Like, <laughs> it, honestly, it was. Right now, like, I'm trading less, less, uh, with much less risk. Like, I'm when I when I'm in 1x leverage, I already feel so bad. Like, I almost can't stand in being in that position. Especially if I get a little bit underwater, underwater, I feel so so bad. <laughs> but at the yeah. time, I somehow felt fine but i also had a job i couldn't uh, i couldn't work at all <laughs> it was uh, really bad for my work i would say <laughs> i was basically star staring at bitmix charts all day and uh, it was open space so all my co-workers saw it <laughs> yeah the every fucking day i was just watching my charts <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can i can relate to that 
Like so, <laughs> I joined I joined Bitmex at the start of 2017, and the year before that, I was working as a as a software developer. So kind of similar story to you in a way. And I had my Bitmex charts going all day at work in the corner of my mm. eye. And sometimes, I get pulled into a meeting. They'd be like, oh, you know, I have, I have to go to this meeting now. I'd have to go away from my computer. And the whole time I'd be in the meeting, I was just itching to get back to my computer to see the chart again, um, not being sure what was going on. Crazy times. Do you, do you <laughs> still um, do you still trade on BitMEX or do you prefer other exchanges now? So I was trading on BitMEX uh, mostly till I think around December or January. But, uh, and uh, the primary reason was that I was very much uh, a BTC only trader, like yeah. basically almost uh, the BTC maxi one would say. When I was talking to BitMEX representatives and they asked me like, if I want some altcoins to be added, I always said no, like I don't even need them, like uh, mm-hmm. don't worry about that. Uh, but uh, in this cycle, there is a bunch of uh, coins that I feel a little bit more comfortable playing with uh, versus just uh, mostly ghost chains from 2017. Like some other exchanges have really better liquidity uh, on those coins. So that yeah. drew me probably more further to Binance. And the mm-hmm. second reason was that uh, I realized that it really messes up with my brain when I'm by default in BTC. So I kind of exposed if it goes down too much I feel bad and I want to like hedge but then it goes up I feel bad uh, or if I'm always hedged and it goes up I feel bad because I see red color <laughs> on yeah. my position which is just a hedge so uh, I realized that I just prefer to be in USDT and then I don't really like I decided to worry about my USD capital not my BTC capital even though a lot of people do worry more about the BTC holdings yeah no, I, I think that a lot of people have changed over time. Um, it's been the same for me. I used to actually prefer BitMEX because it margined in Bitcoin and I didn't want to hold USD because I was just so kind of bullish on Bitcoin. But that's only good when Bitcoin's going up. As soon as it's going down, that doesn't really work as well, um, especially when it moves down so fast because what i see on bitmex is everyone starts hedging i'm guessing just their balance like their account balance and then like the futures crash down as in like the premium collapses a lot faster than other exchanges and also sometimes like the swap trades at a big discount to the index price like that's a big problem for bitmex like the if there was one feature they could launch that would bring you know a lot of people back and get things growing again i think it would be having uh yeah stable coin balances but it, it would be hard to figure out because the way it works with everything being denominated in bitcoin on bitmex but say like i i've moved a lot of my trading to ftx just the the single reason is the like multi currency margining like you just deposit yes. any coin and instantly you have a tradable balance like it it's so useful yes and this is the reason why i moved from Binance now to FTX. Yeah, I've actually not used Binance that much. Like, do they have, does it work similar to FTX in terms of the balance stuff? So Binance is basically uh, like in depth and uh, internally it looks like it almost uh, is a couple of different exchanges. So it has a wallet, a separate wallet for spot, a separate wallet, a separate wallet for, uh, I think like margin trades, spot margin trades. Yeah. a separate wallet for futures so 
you cannot really have your spot holdings uh, work as margin for your futures unless you intentionally move them. Oh no, in your futures account you can only have USDT. Mm. So basically, you have to split everything. Like you can okay. you can have a bunch of uh, you can have a bunch of Bitcoin, but you cannot use them as collateral in your futures account. And uh, unless you're using using so-called Coin M futures, like they have two different futures, uh, uh, inverse and uh, uh, how do you call the other ones? Quanto. Like regular, yeah, inverse and quanto. So and they are split. So you like this is the fourth type of account, and uh, it's a little bit messy. I think uh, mm-hmm. the FTX approach is uh, better in this regard, uh, and yeah. this is almost one of the primary reasons why I switch from the FTX. I just love that FTX is so integrated um, with all this stuff. When they launched the margin trading, I actually don't trade on spot margin, but I, I like lending on FTX. And it's really fascinating how the way they integrated the spot margin into the whole platform was so clever because now if you turn on the spot margin and lending, you just see like your potential available balance everywhere. So it's really tempting. It's quite... Uh, It's a really clever design, but one thing it does make me worry about is because everything's so integrated, that's a very complex engineering effort, and that does kind of make me worry, especially because FTX is so young that, you know, they haven't pushed themselves too far, I guess, technically, but those guys are so smart, like, it wouldn't surprise me if everything's fine, but at the same time, like if it all blew up one day, I also wouldn't be surprised because I feel like every exchange kind of has a moment where they get really tested and have to recover. But then again, I don't think BitMEX ever really had anything like that. So, um, I know, well, I think that the day was in March 2020 where everyone got wrecked, including first, including me first, but then uh, because of the huge. Uh, Huge difference between the mark price and spot price on Bitmax. Uh, yeah. It was basically impossible to make free money like out of air, uh, which a lot of people uh, like. I made a tweet about that on Twitter, and a lot of people uh, did take the trade. Mm-hmm. And I still get a lot of uh, DMs uh, about people uh, <laughs> being sampled for that uh, tweet. Uh, yeah, so that day on twi- uh, on March 2020, uh, I think even Sam uh, from FTX admitted that we were close to like even potentially. Uh, you know, Bitcoin, you know, you could say crashing to zero because the books would have no, uh, not enough bid. Uh, it was possible that we would crash that hard, in Sam's words. Yeah, because of the margin uh, cascading liquidations. Yeah, exactly. I guess the past couple of weeks have been really insane in terms of fast movement and the exchanges all seem to be holding up pretty well. Um, like, no one got blown up, I guess. So that's a pretty positive sign. But what you said before about how like even if we move up we might have another crazy downward move um i also wouldn't be surprised by that and uh i'm still not convinced this is like a full bear market yet so uh i need to prove first that we are in a full full bear market at the moment to say when are we out of the bear market i need to prove that we are in a bear market first yeah what Uh, what are you looking for to, to kind of prove that to you it's just uh, mostly time and uh, and time and uh, just seeing the price action. If mm-hmm. like whenever it trips, it gets instantaneously dumped. Uh, this is a bad sign. 
but, but it, I think there is a really high chance that we're just going to consolidate in a large range for a couple of months. And I'm not sure how to call that. Like, is it a bear market? Is it a bull market? The worst thing is that can happen is a chop market. <laughs> and that's yeah. when I always lose money. <laughs> so uh, I'm not trying to rush it. I'm not trying even to give any predictions because if I give a prediction, I will feel mentally responsible to it. And I, I could try to stick to it. But I don't want to stick to anything. Like I want to be able to change my mind like immediately if I have to. Yeah. You said before that one of the reasons you've tried some other exchanges is you got into trading altcoins. Did you try any of the farming stuff last year? Uh, so the farming stuff I did try this year, but not last year. Last oh, okay. year the market was still pretty choppy and uh, I was just simply away from the trading uh, almost completely. Like I wasn't uh, up to date on a lot of stuff that was happening. I completely missed the DeFi summer. Like I was just not there, <laughs> not completely researching stuff and stuff like this. It was just oh, trying okay. to get away. But I did uh, I did farm just recently. I uh, was farming some USD, uh, USDT or like stable coins. I was farming some altcoins uh, that I was just putting in, the, in random farms uh, that had at least some audits not too much money like uh, this stuff is a little bit too risky uh, for my t- for my taste to put everything <laughs> yeah fair enough so do you, would you say that you're still like relatively a bitcoin maxi 50 50 uh, i do believe i do fundamentally believe in uh, DeFi, and uh, a lot of projects are legit and uh, i see the use case for them i see that uh, the possibilities that uh, they are going to be used by wider masses of people in the same time the question is uh, are the tokens worth much or not some of them yes i think uh, that for example you know uniswap is like is not worthless and uh, sushi swap is actually uh, quite undervalued compared to uh, uniswap but a lot of things like for example Aave or compound uh, i'm not really sure about so if if you look like what is the main key indicators that people are looking at all the time for DeFi projects it's a tvl but uh, the tvl itself gets overinflated especially on projects like Aave or compound because they basically pay you money to lend and they also pay you money to borrow mm. so what you do is you lend some money use it as a collateral and then borrow against your own money <laughs> <laughs> and then you and then you deposit again the money you borrowed and then you get a little bit more to borrow and then you re- repeat the cycle and uh, when it allows you to borrow 80 percent uh, of your collateral it basically allows you to deposit 5x of the money that you actually yeah. deposited 100 dollars deposited to the protocol actually turns out to be 500 dollars tvl mm. it's just crazy because all of that 500 dollars tvl is basically staying there just to be uh, farmed on both sides, on the uh, lending and borrowing side. And uh, whenever those rewards uh, go off, I feel like the TVL is just going to completely crash. The other question is how do you make money? Like is the protocol uh, able to make enough money? Even if it goes uh, up 100x in potential uh, user base, for some of the protocols it's hard to uh, make the argument that they really are worse what it was at least for me like i i think yeah they could could be a little bit overvalued <laughs> and that is another reason why i'm not exactly too bullish 
but I'm not trying to think much about this and to overthink. If it goes up, you know, I'll buy the dip and ride it to the moon again. <laughs> yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. It should. Yeah. This is my approach. Yeah, I guess you look into the fundamentals almost out of curiosity, but your main focus is just to kind of understand what the market's thinking and not let your own view kind of cloud your judgment. Yes, yes, more like that. But for example, even on Aave, on Compound, with Aave I was checking that their rewards, I think on the the Matic chain, are ending around mid-June. Yeah. So I I would be looking the price more closely and uh, mm. maybe even like potentially enter. Sometimes what I could do is uh, enter the position based on fundamentals, but still with a stop loss uh, based on technicials, if I expect some event happening. So for example, on June 15th or 14th, I might enter short, see that uh, next day, you know, TVL is going down because the rewards are off. But if the price ignores this, it means that my thesis was not important. If it goes up, I'm just stopped out. So this is the way I could mix like fundamentals or technicials. I was around for DeFi summer last year, luckily enough. I, uh, I've got so much regret about not putting in more. At, at the time last year, funnily enough, I was still working for BitMEX and I wrote a report for the company on DeFi just as the whole thing was taking off. Like it was in the first half of last year and I wrote, like, I picked it, you know, I did it, I wrote a report about DeFi in general and then did a deep dive on some of the big coins and didn't buy, didn't buy most of them. And then they 100x, like all, all of them 100x. It was, it was crazy. But I'm really happy that, that it happened because it got me interested in the technology again uh, in a way that I hadn't been in a long time. It kind of showed that if you hang around and, and have patience, the crypto scene does get better like on a technical level and in terms of usefulness like the DeFi stuff is really massive accomplishment and it's the kind of products that people have wanted to see in the space for years like people have been talking about these products being possible for years and years but they never came out but now they're actually here and they work which is really quite quite a huge accomplishment so I think it's fair that a lot of the price increase we've seen over the past year for like Ethereum and stuff is completely justified in my opinion. Like the protocols are actually delivering the products that people want to see. Yes. Yeah, a bit on that. Uh, this year, I haven't been trading the DeFi coins that much. I like how you mentioned earlier that you had some big positions on the exchange coins though because I think that the exchange coins are kind of a... Um, uh, like an unsung hero of this of this like bull rally we've been in because they're actually really interesting you know this whole idea how and yeah to put it simply the exchange mints a token has this buy and burn like commitment um so there's a con- constantly decreasing supply of the coin and then there's an incentive to buy the coin for fees like that there's just so much buy pressure i guess on these coins that at least for me, they, they've seemed like a pretty no-brainer place to park excess capital, at least. What do you think about them? Uh, I do agree that this is probably one of the best kind of uh, DeFi tokens. And uh, the primary reason is that they do uh, generate uh, legit uh, fees. Uh, so users are actually using uh, those DeFi products, and uh, even though the liquidity itself is incentivized 
but uh, the volume is not. So if there is volume, it means that people actually were willing to uh, pay the 0.3% mm. fee uh, to use the product. And uh, usually there is like 0.05% uh, fee on some exchanges like SushiSwap or QuickSwap and some others that goes towards the protocol itself. And uh, this is what uh, differenti differentiates them very well uh, versus some other things like just as I said, Aave, for example. A lot of protocols that are currently just governance protocols, it is expected that they over time will vote on, uh, on the fees introduced to the platform. That is, for example, why Uniswap is still a good token, in my opinion, even though on, uh, or a little bit overvalued on relative basis. Uh, yeah. Because over time, people would simply vote and you know introduce that fee. So it's fine. The, the question is, if other protocols are able to fundamentally uh, sustain a high fee paid to the protocol itself. And I'm not exactly sure about that. But the exchanges, uh, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. Since people, you know, uh, the sp speculation is the largest product of crypto, <laughs> basically, in a way that kind of makes exchanges useful to a lot of people in the space. Yeah, exactly. L lending, well, you could say it is a viable product, but I think mm -hmm. in a way, way like 10x less scale than uh, trading. Yeah. I've known of people buying things in real life with loans they took out on DeFi protocols. Here in Australia, who bought a Tesla, he like locked up a heap of crypto. He locked up a heap of Ethereum that he thought you know, he thought Ethereum was going to keep going up, so he borrowed USD against it and then withdrew that USD, turned it into AUD and bought a Tesla. I think he got liquidated, actually, in the past couple of weeks <laughs> on that well, loan, but he actually said, I think he withdrew, like, he, he deposited a heap of ETH and then he withdrew some of it as the Ethereum price moved up, so I think he still made money, like, it was all good, but that was really interesting to hear that people you know, buying something in real life from a DeFi loan, that is actually happening. I do not doubt that people will use lending. Uh, but the question for me is how much people would be willing to, uh, to pay for the protocol. Like, would he be willing to pay, say, 0.1% uh, of, the, of, the, uh, of the debt or, or the deposit uh, towards yeah. the protocol and lose it? Like, uh, I'm not sure. And even if uh, he is willing, uh, since there could be multiple protocols, I think the competition could be uh, pretty uh, large over there and the fees wouldn't be too high. But if yeah. the fees are not high enough, like, uh, uh, you know, you really do have to uh, apply some fundamental evaluations at some point. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, the capitalization of the uh, lending token is almost directionally proportional to the fees that uh, the protocol charge and the number of users uh, and volumes that uh, they generate. So those fees that would be introduced in the future, uh, they definitely do have to take part uh, in the uh, in the valuations. But I'm just not exactly sure if the volume and the fees would be high enough to warrant like very high valuations for protocols. What about the centralized exchange tokens like FTT? I, I like them. I actually like them. BNB. I I, uh, I really regret that I was not like long BNB because uh, I clearly remember how I thought that this could be like one of the best tokens. Saying this to my friend one and two years ago, uh, but I was just not willing to hold any spot. I was mostly just hold, like uh, you know uh, trading futures. Uh, 
but I, I did really think that BNB is going to uh, go up. At the moment, it's not exactly an exchange token for me because uh, BNB has now this dual use as also yeah. uh, the BC network uh, coin. So uh, it's very hard to uh, reason about tokens like this that have like uh, multiple uh, purposes. Uh, but overall, I think uh, these tokens do have like legitimate, fundamental, and speculative value. Mm. Uh, FGT is also another one that uh, was actually uh, seemed really low uh, and undervalued uh, when it reached the lows uh, just uh, like one or two weeks ago. Uh, like seemed actually fundamentally undervalued. Like I think even an actual investment bank or something would be willing to buy those prices. It's uh, even on the P the PE ratio was uh, quite low. It's funny um, you say that because, say, with FTT and a couple other exchange tokens, a lot of people I spoke to thought that, yeah, they were undervalued. Like, even SBF was making tweet threads about, like, how, you know, FTT was potentially very undervalued. But it's it's really funny being in crypto when, like, when something seems so obvious, I almost become, like, ske too skeptical for some reason. Because I feel like if something is so obviously going to go up, like in crypto, it should just go up straight away. But for whatever reason, the exchange tokens, it took a long time for people to care about them, the centralized exchange tokens. Yeah, as you just said, like if you did a very simple traditional analysis, like they were undervalued. But that wasn't enough to get them moving, at least for a long time. But then, as as is usual in crypto once people started to put two and two together they moved so fast i i think there's a bigger story here with the exchange tokens these centralized exchange tokens about how you know as a company if you can find a way to integrate a buy and burn function potential potentially any company could do this could implement a token as long as they can do this legally then any company could do this and I could actually see a future where a lot of businesses have their own token and have a, have a commitment to, you know, use some percentage of their profit to burn the token and some kind of incentive for their users and, or customers to like own the token. For example, like I was telling a friend the other day, I'm curious what you think of this. Imagine you had like a supermarket chain. And, you know, a lot of supermarket chains will have like a rewards program, or at least they do in Australia. It's kind of like they might partner with an airline. So like if you shop with them, you know, you scan a little card thing and then you get points and you can use it to like, yeah, book flights or get some other rewards. Imagine if they replace that with a, um, yeah, they, they just issued a token uh, and then they buy and burn a percentage of the token every day from the people shopping. Like that could be huge. And the reason they do this is, you know, they have, a, they have a huge chunk of the token at the start and they essentially can use that to capitalize the business rather than, you know, taking out loans or selling shares. They, I mean, maybe like this is a dumb idea because I'm, you know, I'm not like a finance professional, but to me it seems like quite a compelling, interesting thing to do because not only on the finance side does it make the business money and give them like a capital kind of source, but it also creates like user loyalty, I think. I agree. Uh, I even watched some uh, like podcast uh, recently, and uh, I do agree that it's really uh, valuable to merge the uh, user economy and uh, the like an ownership economy, owner, owners of the of the company, and not necessarily the company, but someone who does uh, who is incentivized by company growth. 
So now you can basically have someone buy McDonald's uh, burger, but also on some token, which is going to go up if uh, you know more people buy more products from the company uh, exactly. that issues the token. Or for example, it could be some NFT, which uh, you could easily uh, use, for example, as a referral token. And if people, you know, somehow interact with it, it basically means that you invited them and uh, you also get benefits. Uh, you can even build like M build MLM schemes uh, using uh, crypto infrastructure, which would be more open, more transparent, and uh, not scammy. <laughs> That's right. The transparency part of this is also what makes it really compelling. But I've, when I've told a few friends about this idea, they're like, "Oh, you know, companies already get a lot of this functionality through shares." But I completely disagree because this is not a share. If you give someone a token, you're not giving away any control of the company. There's significantly less like legal considerations to be made with something like this. And it's a lot simpler for everyday people to understand. If, yeah, if you can convince more people to use this company, then your token will go up. Like it's very simple economics and it'll create that kind of brand loyalty that you get from, yeah, like a point system, a rewards point system. So. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it, but I think that the centralized exchange tokens are like an, an, yeah, an unsung hero of this bull market. And then something, this is the start of something big, in my opinion, um, that will only kind of, we'll look back on maybe in a couple of years and go like, these exchange tokens really did pioneer a new way of using crypto. Yeah, for me, it's very interesting how basically crypto as a whole was <laughs> found some ways to uh, go around SEC and basically mm. found the ways to give tokens but not sell them so instead of getting money for your tokens you get some other things that could be bought with money like for example liquidity instead of right. paying the market maker initially you basically just directly incentivize liquidity and then instead of paying dividends you just basically uh, buy and burn which is yeah. like a stock, a stock buyback in a way very similar <laughs> like fundamentally there's really not a not a lot of difference between just giving a dividend or, or burning the stock if you are not very like principal in terms of oh i'm never selling my principal i only have to uh, get a dividend but instead you can just sell like one or two percent of your principal it would be almost the same thing but in this way it technically is not probably is not like legal yeah i mean this a lot of this stuff will get tested eventually especially if you know more companies take up these kinds of activities well even if the original thinking behind the design of some of these tokens was to mimic the behavior of a security i think that they've had to go back to the drawing board enough that there is significant differences here i hope that regulators can see that um, and not throw the baby out with the bathwater because a lot of this stuff is genuinely really interesting and compelling for example i could see a future where say a lot of companies decide to issue their own token with the very clear buy and burn mechanics like this i could see everyday people especially young people like building a portfolio of different um, like company cryptos that they back and use so it's like you know i do my shopping here i get my coffee here I buy my clothes from this company and I have their tokens so I get fee discounts and I encourage my friends to like shop at these places because for example with FTX I like the exchange anyway I like the features anyway there's other reasons to go there but 
because of owning FTT and getting a fee discount, it makes your it makes it more sticky. Like you, you have more reason to stay there. You have a reason to like promote it with friends, but it's not the only reason. Yeah, but overall, I would say that the main problem is still not uh, how to make the token valuable, uh, but how to initially distribute the token because you cannot mm. sell it. That would make it a security. So right. you have to be very creative about how to originally, like, what do you get first from someone who you give the token instead. Is the airdropping phenomena a way around this, I'm assuming? Uh, well, that's one way, but if, you but if you airdrop uh, the majority of your tokens, uh, now you have to really question, like, if you're not giving away something uh, for free, like, it's too valuable. Like, the DEXs, for example, they do uh, give you the tokens, but instead they get liquidity, and that bootstraps their initial, uh, you know, user base and volume. Uh, but if you airdrop everything, um, makes usually sense. people usually projects airdrop like five percent or ten percent, uh, but airdropping the whole thing makes sense. Um, one question I like to ask people like yourself who've been around a little while and seen a few different things, especially given you know the recent sh almost shocking market moves. Um, there's been a lot of people who've came into crypto either late last year or just this year. What, what's your kind of basic advice to someone who's just started out now or is thinking of getting into crypto right now? I would probably suggest just uh, learning almost nonstop. Almost everything you really uh, get under your hand, like technical analysis or you know even macroeconomics, uh, try to value the projects, uh, even spend some time in different chat rooms just to see people's psychology. And over time, 90% of what you learn, you will not really uh, use much. Uh, you'll just figure out what works for you and, and what doesn't. Uh, it's also helpful uh, so that when something goes wrong, those other areas that you are not very knowledgeable uh, about would not uh, kill your uh, like thesis very easily uh, that's based on what you know. So for example, you're very like good technical analyst, but you have absolutely no clue, uh, clue about microeconomics and someone says that, oh, like, uh, you know, the rates are going to go up. You think that you are right technically, but when you hear this and you have absolutely no, no clue about it, you will feel like thrown out <laughs> and maybe decide to change your plan. So uh, it's just best to have uh, at least some understanding about various different areas. Your mind cannot be easily influenced uh, when you feel like your your game is not uh, up to the level, or up to the minimal level required. So overall, like learn a lot. Over time, you will figure out what's needed and uh, what is not. And uh, also practice. You need a lot of practice, uh, but. To be able to have a lot of practice, you do not. Uh, you have to not lose all of your money immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, risk, but uh, risk not too much. Like uh, never uh, be at risk of liquidating everything completely. I do not recommend being like me. <laughs> uh, a lot mo most most people will get wrecked. And uh, when I was able to recover, uh, it was due to a lot of reasons. Uh, like and the market knowledge at that moment, uh, but also it was a lot uh, due to luck as well. And uh, everyone has to recognize it and uh, never risk losing everything unless you have a plan how to like get stopped out from the trade or something like this. Uh, give yourself more room uh, to stay in the market, 
so that you have more time to learn. Very well said. Uh, to finish things up, I'd like to ask you a non-crypto question. I saw in a written interview you did that you like to travel, and I assume the lockdowns kind of messed that up a little bit. But what is your favorite place you've ever visited? Um, and assuming that you haven't been traveling much over the past year, what is somewhere that you're like busting to go to? So I actually did travel a little bit even uh, even over the last like one and a half years, like for probably still in five or six different countries. It really messes up with my trading though. Like uh, I was just uh, on a very nice trip when this whole crypto crash happened and uh, <laughs> uh, one day I realized that I have to sell my stuff because we we're going lower. <laughs> so I had to spend half, half a day instead of uh, like you know visiting the city just uh, selling my stuff and uh, i'm still glad that i did it because it was uh, still before the lows <laughs> relatively much earlier like 30 percent higher uh yeah. but what is what is my favorite place it's uh, quite hard to choose i was probably overall around 40 countries i have not been to south america i have not been to australia uh, yes. I, 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 yes. Yes. <laughs> I would love to. Yes, I would love to. But I think Australia requires visas for everyone, right? Yeah, it's it's but, okay. it's really <laughs> hard to come to Australia, and especially at the moment, actually, it's impossible. We the borders completely shut. They said they probably won't open it until the end of next year. They're very very risk averse when it comes to the border here for some reason. You're not even allowed yeah. to leave the country. I even heard that Australia was the only country in the world that for a period of time was not letting its own citizen come back. Was it yeah, true? yeah, that's still the case. <laughs> it's it's really hard oh, to wow. come back. Some people, because we have a cap on the number of people who can come back into the country and the number of people wanting to come home is bigger than that cap. So there's, yeah, the airlines can't come into Australia. So a lot of people are just stuck overseas or if they're trying to get back, they have to wait like months and months and months. As someone, I've lived overseas for a few years before I came back here. And to be honest, I find it really um, sad that, that we're doing this. I think we should make more of an effort to bring people home. But in Australia, for some reason, it's very popular that you can't come back. I don't know why. <laughs> people kind of go, oh, you know, if you were overseas, then it's your own fault and they just don't want to risk people coming back with COVID. But yeah, I think we should probably show a bit more compassion to other Australians, but there you go. Yeah. <laughs> One of the favorite ones. So this year, mm. uh, the new countries that uh, I visited was the Dominican Republic. And it was uh, uh, the second time I was in the Caribbean. The first time was I was in Cuba, but uh, I was really not, prefer not prepared for that trip. I was alone. And uh, I didn't realize the, <laughs> the situation in the country, so I basically had no internet. And I uh, and I was in Havana, and uh, since I had pr practically no internet and I was alone, I basically realized that it was almost too risky for me to try and uh, go to the actual uh, cities that has a beach. Mm. So I, I did not actually swim in the in the sea, which was really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was only in Havana, yes. But this year I I was on uh, Dominican Republic, which is really uh, really nice. Like I like like the Caribbean, uh, mm. probably maybe the best uh, sea or ocean views that I had. Uh, somewhat uh, different, but uh, comparable in terms of how nice it was to uh, Hawaii. My favorite nice. country from from this year. <laughs> yeah, awesome, good stuff. Well, thank you very much for coming onto the show. 
yeah, this has been a really great interview. I'd like to give a little shout out to Stefan from Bitmex because he put us in contact. There you go, Stefan. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much and uh, best of luck, yeah, trading. Thank you, thank you.